What the Fashion is sponsored by Glug Wines. Glug Wines is a London-based wine merchant who believe that everyone deserves amazing wine at home. So much so that they've created their own wine subscription service called The Glug Box. Why not become a member and sign up to The Glug Box, where you can receive sommelier-selected wines delivered straight to your door every month. Included in The Glug Box subscription are tasting notes, access to Zoom tastings, and occasional interviews with winemakers. I mean, what's not to love? You get 25% off your first month and free shipping on all orders. So head online to theglugbox.co.uk or follow them on Instagram at theglugbox to find out more. The Glug Box. Wine adventures delivered to your door. Hello, you're listening to What the Fashion, a weekly fashion podcast hosted by myself, Jasmine Dunn, and a lineup of brilliant, exciting, intelligent guests, all professionals in the industries of fashion and beauty. I cannot wait to share the conversations we've had together. Whether you're totally fashion obsessed or you just enjoy dipping your toes in the industry, I can guarantee you're going to get something great out of this podcast. So sit down, get a cup of tea ready, get cosy or go for a run or do whatever you listen to your podcast doing and enjoy what the fashion. Today we are really going out with a bang as I'm interviewing journalist, copywriter and podcaster Jasmine Wallace. When she's not writing her regular articles in Fashion Journal magazine, she's busy recording her popular current affairs and pop culture podcast, Culture Club, which she hosts alongside her good friend Maggie. She really is a media whiz with exceptional journalistic talent. We can all learn a lot from her. So here is the very last episode of What the Fashion Season 1 with Jasmine Wallace. Enjoy! So let's dive right in. Tell us a bit about what you do. So I call myself a media slashy because I work in the media industry, but in lots of freelance roles. So first and foremost, I'd consider myself a writer, journalist. I love writing for magazines. Like that's my biggest passion for sure. Um, But through that, it's kind of bled into some copywriting for brands. You know, things are kind of tough in the industry at the moment. So um, it's good to use those writing skills to earn money (laughs) when you're freelancing. What is the definition of copywriting for someone who doesn't know? So copywriting is basically anything you see like whether it's for a brand or um, a person's website, like a portfolio, all the words you see were written by a copywriter. Um, So it's just a skill where you have to look at the brand and their tone of voice and what they're trying to say and just using words to communicate to Mm -hmm. an audience, whether that's like, for example, I write product descriptions sometimes for like shop, like retail or I can write for people's portfolio websites if they're like a designer and they aren't so good with words. So it's kind of all the little things that you wouldn't think that that's someone's job to write that. But yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of in the branding branding section of things then. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a bit more like marketing and branding, which is interesting. And then my other role and job is um I am the co-host of a podcast a pop culture and current affairs podcast called culture club which I started about four months ago in lockdown with my friend and fellow media slashy Maggie 
So that's yeah. been really fun as well. I love your podcast. And you taught me what the word slashy meant as well. I actually used it. I used it the other day. I was like, I kind of just said, oh yeah, it's like a phrase because someone asked me what it was. And I was like, oh, it's just a phrase. It means you do like loads of things. And then they were like, oh, is that a, like a common phrase? And I said, yeah. But then I was like, did you make that up? And I'm like taking cred for it. So yeah, is it your phrase or is that like an actual thing? Is that an Australian thing? I don't know. I think it might be an Australian thing. Um, You know, Emma Gannon, yeah. the writer she calls it multi-hyphenate yeah um, I read her book about so it's that. the same thing yeah but in Australia I don't know maybe we just shorten everything so like slashy um <laughs> I saw this TikTok <laughs> side note I saw a TikTok as well where Harry Styles was getting interviewed by an Australian lady mm-hmm. and she was like you're a bit of a slashy aren't you and he was like what's a slashy so maybe it is an Australian thing I don't know yeah. okay so I actually wanted to talk about and break down the steps that happen when you actually write for a magazine as a freelancer so kind of what are the first stages do you send a brief first like how does that process work so generally speaking you would come up with an idea sometimes a couple usually if it's like the first time you're pitching somewhere it'll just be like one idea in an email you flesh the idea out um as succinctly as possible and explain why you're the person who should write it a bit about your experience whether it's like other places you've written for doesn't have to be other magazines but just anything any experience you have and then send that off. And if the editor likes your idea, then they'll come back to you yeah. with a budget um, and a deadline when you need to write the piece by. And then you would go out and write it and then come back with the first draft. The editor usually sends one draft back. I don't know. It depends on the piece. Sometimes it can just be like, yep, thanks. And then they publish it. But yeah, sometimes there's a bit of a back and forth of edits and then yeah, it gets published. And then if you build up a relationship with a particular editor or magazine, then sometimes they'll come to you with pieces. Yeah. So basically just really selling your idea and your kind of previous work to them to kind of get that job. Yeah, you're basically in the business of selling ideas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like people think it's all writing, but a lot of it is coming up with ideas and crafting the pitches to sell that idea. So when you're sending out these briefs and ideas, on average, how many no's do you get before you get a yes? Um, Usually there's kind of some funny rules around it. So... I don't like sending multiple pitches to multiple places at the same time. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a little bit rude. Some people say like, it doesn't matter. First in best dress when it comes to editors, whoever says yes first gets it. But um, yeah, at the moment I'm just sending out an idea and then Mm -hmm. usually I follow up after a week if I don't hear anything. Um, And then after the second week, whether they've seen it or not, I don't know, but yeah. um, I take that as a no <laughs> and then I'll move it on. Yeah. So sometimes it can be like three no's before um, someone yeah. wants to take it, which it can be hard if it's very newsworthy. Yeah. Um, and sometimes ideas don't get published at all. And like, that's kind of part of it as well. And learning something that I've definitely had to learn this year is they're not rejecting you as a writer yeah. or like, as a person it's just the idea doesn't fit or it's not the right timing and sometimes they'll come back like a month later and be like oh that idea like we should work on that again so yeah it's kind of like having lots of balls in the air for me my income is really sporadic because some days I can have like three projects and two articles or like Mm. one article and one client and like 
yeah. So if you always have those relationships with editors and they're coming to you as well as you giving them ideas, it's like this rotating wheel, I guess, of like income and ideas and work, which is so important as a freelancer, especially you're always selling yourself as well. Like as annoying as that may seem sometimes. How important do you think your online presence is when it comes to being a writer? Yeah, I think definitely this year and a bit last year, I was kind of more aware that I could use Instagram, especially as a platform for my work. So whether I'm like sharing the work I've written, I also use Instagram to like find interviewees and like people for um, jobs and like PR can find me on there. And then they send me emails with like their ideas. So or like brand, yeah, it's like every, it's like a yeah. networking, it's literally a networking site, but especially for as a writer, I'd say it's a useful tool. It's not the be all and end all. Did you always want to be a writer? It's one of those things where I can't remember consciously choosing to be a writer. Um, I've always, always loved it. I loved English at school. It's my favorite subject. Um, I did as many English like um, I don't know what the equivalent is in the UK, but as many English subjects as I could. Mm. Um, my dad is also a writer, so it's kind of like in my blood in a way. Um, but he used to read to us a lot. So, yeah, it's just always been there. And then I remember when I was like an early teen, I loved, like fell in love with magazines. Mm, where did you study? I studied at Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Melbourne. And then I also did a minor of international journalism in Amsterdam in 2018. I actually wanted to talk to you a bit about your podcast Culture Club. I'm really enjoying it and it seems to be really successful right now. So could you tell us a bit about that? Thank you. I'm really glad that you're enjoying it. (laughs) It's yeah, it's been so nice to um, put something out and get such a nice response. So um, yeah, we started it because my friend Maggie, she is also a media slashy. She's a writer and um, we both did internships at Fashion Journal magazine. I actually helped get her the internship. And then I realized that we kept pitching the same ideas to the, mag- to the same magazine. And um, also when she, she's quite like outspoken about many issues on Instagram. And so we'd always be sending voice memos to each other, like talking about different topics. Yeah. And so rather than feeling like I needed to compete with her to be like the number one contributor or whatever, or competing for these pitch ideas, I was like, we should just work together if we have the same interests. So yeah, I had been thinking about it for months, similar to you. And um, finally was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. It's now or never. So we decided to be quite broad because we have many interests. So it's about pop culture and then current affairs as well. Sometimes some topics are a bit heavier. Like two weeks ago, we did a bit about the change in abortion laws in Poland. And we've also spoken about like classism in sustainable and ethical fashion. But then we also can talk about Harry Styles and (laughs) Gossip Girl and, you know. So it's quite, I like to think it's quite balanced and it's a bit of, yeah, lightheartedness and also a little bit of, connecting with people and trying to educate so what's next for you have you got anything lined up or are you just taking it as it comes what does the future look like I'd say our main focus right now is just building the podcast um because yeah it's been about four months Mm -hmm. and actually 
this week we just got our first sponsor. So ah. that's been really fun. And it's someone that really aligns with our values. So that's so nice. I wanted to know about, so basically it's kind of tied into what we just said, but from what I can gather, a lot of your work is aimed towards young people, like millennial, Gen Z kind of generations. Do you think there's too much pressure right now in the pandemic on young people to be productive and to be doing things? Yeah, I definitely think there is. And it's just been such a hard time for so many people. Um, We've been quite lucky over here in that, well, Melbourne had a second lockdown, but, you know, compared to Europe, we've been very lucky. And um, I definitely recognise my privilege in having the mental space to be able to start a passion project during this time. And, like, I'm living with family. Like, that's a privilege in itself. And, um, yeah, so I think I would hate to ever make anyone feel like they're not doing enough because they're not, like, starting something, you know. Um, I think if you're literally surviving this year, then you're doing amazingly. Like if you are nice, you're kind to people, you're kind to yourself, then like that's incredible. And I think especially because young people are really disproportionately affected by the pandemic at the moment. We don't know what the future looks like, whether it's like job uncertainty or losing on placements and stuff yeah so yeah I think it's really important to remember that one everyone's just doing their best and two I'm sure that people young people are as well and I hope that you know no Mm. one's feeling too much pressure but it's hard like I know I put pressure on myself a lot but I remember when the like in March April when it was all kicking off I saw a great cartoon or comic that um, was like a man on a boat in stormy seas. And um, he was like, now's a really great time to start that novel I've been meaning to start. (laughs) And it's so true. So in a previous podcast episode, I did ask a writer this very same question, but I'm really interested to hear your answer because everyone answers this differently. What do you feel needs to be discussed more widely in fashion journalism? Mm. So I feel like fashion journalism over the last couple of years has changed a whole lot, which is really good. I think it's just because we're going through a lot of change in general in society at the moment. But one thing I think that needs to be discussed more both in fashion and fashion journalism is class privilege. I think, um, oh, I read this great book by Julia Mencitieri um, called The Most Beautiful Job in the World. Um, where she is basically on assignment for um, she like goes into fashion houses and with stylists and stuff. Um, it's kind of like a fly on the wall in the fashion industry. And she's talking to a stylist who is working for like massive magazines and all these amazing clients. She wears like head to toe designer and then she can't pay her rent at the end of the month because she's actually not paid properly. It's just Uh, like you're either paid in like clothes or they'll like pay for your flight or whatever. They don't actually get a proper salary. Um, And I think being more transparent about that kind of stuff is so important because as you would know, like fashion is a glamorous world. But when you actually look at the root of it, a lot of the times the people working in it aren't compensated properly or they come from wealthy backgrounds so they have the means to be able to work for really cheap so yeah I think that is very important Tori West who's the editor of Bricks magazine um she speaks a lot about that and how 
what it's like being a working class um, editor and journalist um, in a world and society that really is only made for the upper class really especially fashion i feel like we've had such an interesting chat today thank you so much for coming on no thanks for having me it's been so nice to chat again Okay, so the big question at the end, if you could only keep three items of clothing from your wardrobe, what would they be and why? I had to think really hard. I had to think really hard about this one. Um, But I've narrowed it down to, at the moment, I have a black linen dress. So at the moment, I'm living in Queensland and it's bloody hot. Today was like 32 degrees. So I would say my linen dress that I'm loving because once I get my closet back or I can buy things again, I could, you know, dress up or dress down. Um, very versatile. And then I am living in my Veja, Veja sneakers at the moment as well. They are just so comfortable and versatile as well. Mm-hmm. And then my more sentimental piece is um, my 21st party dress which was my first big purchase as an adult it's by Rika Studios and it cost me $300 when I was 21 um yeah I remember (laughs) for like the whole week I was trying to find a dress and I couldn't find anything and I went to this really nice boutique in Melbourne and um love like fell in love with it and I was like texting all my friends sending pictures like should I get it and I went home that night and slept on it um and then I still fell in love with it. So I went back the next day and picked it up and wore it. And whenever I see it in my cupboard, it makes me happy. I don't know if it fits me anymore, <laughs> but I still have it. Um, oh. So, yeah, I'd have to take that for sentimental value. Oh, that's so nice. That's a lovely little combination of things. You've got sentimental and practical as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and I can't wait to see what you produce in the future with all of your writing and with your podcast. So Aww, good luck. Thank you so that. much. Yes. Thanks for having me on. It was really nice to chat about these topics. Thank you so much to Jasmine for coming on and chatting. To find her work, head over to her Instagram at Jasmine E Sky. That's J-A-S-M-I-N-E e-s-k-y-e or listen to her podcast culture club available on apple podcasts and spotify and finally thank you for listening i am so grateful for everyone who's taken the time to listen follow and download each and every episode of what the fashion season one we have big plans for season two it's going to be a little different but i'm really excited so please keep an eye out as i'll be back with more guests very soon thank you again for all of your support bye What the Fashion was recorded remotely via Zoom. The theme music was made by Will Bennett.